You are listening to the Ingredients for Success podcast, where you can consume dietary supplement industry best practices, trends, recent news, and other insights provided through interviews and discussions with members of the Stratum team and seasoned industry execs. Welcome to the Ingredients for Success podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Rizzo, and today I'm honored to have Dr. Susan Kleiner join me on the show. She is the owner of High Performance Nutrition, a consulting firm in Washington. She has consulted with many professional teams and team members, Olympians, and elite athletes in countless sports. She has authored eight books and is one of the foremost nutrition authorities on eating for strength. Her power eating program has reshaped the lives of thousands. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kleiner. Thank you so much, Jackie. It's really a pleasure to be here. Oh, I am so glad to have you. Over the last few months, I've just seen your name pop up on LinkedIn and different podcasts and webinars, and so I'm very grateful to have you on the show. Um, From my understanding, you have worked with several athletes since the 80s, both male and female. Um, When did you make the decision to move towards working with male athletes to female athletes? Well, it was fairly organic, I have to say. Um, My original doctoral research was with um, nationally and internationally ranked competitive male bodybuilders. And so I, you know, sort of naturally, and and because my work was in strength and power, muscle building and strength, um, it was natural at that time in the late 80s for me to then, you know, continue to work with, with male athletes. And Um, And in that sort of lane of strength and power, it was, there were female athletes, uh, women and girls um, competing in strength and power sports, but it was not as prominent as men. And so um, I was in that sort of lane until I did, uh, I continued my research where I had the opportunity to go to competitive bodybuilding contests and study females as well as males. And and it became abundantly clear at that time that um, aside from the fact that there was not really much credible data on nutrition, strength and power and and building muscle, um, the nutritional needs of muscles uh, for men, Um, there was even less for women. There was nothing for women. And women were even more underground than their male counterparts. And being a female athlete myself, I was well aware of the lack of information and support um, for women and girls. And it was just kind of a natural segue. So that was when I was in North Carolina uh, at Duke, well, first at University of North Carolina at Greensboro, then at Duke University, and uh, that research was published in the very early '90s, and um, and then I just started, you know, working with both women and men. And when I moved out here to the Pacific Northwest, everything really changed, and I began to work more and more with women and girls, and I would say sort of peaked at more women and girls, probably 60, 40 to to men and boys over time. Now, from then 
to now, do you think there is still a lack of nutritional support for female athletes today? Oh, yes. (laughs) So even though um, many, many people want to, are eager to, desire to, and do um, try to support women and girls nutritionally, um, there's probably two missing pieces. One is their education and their understanding. So the professionals trying to support them, um, their understanding of the current state of the science, um, as well as um, as society and, and our language uh, in, in speaking to and approaching uh, athletic and active women and girls. And secondly, just a lack of evidence um, that covers the full range of the biology of the lifespan of women and girls. And so um, many people are unaware that there's any difference. Um, and, And very often we actually don't know if there is a difference or not in different points in time based on goals, um, sports specificity, uh, the individual um, uh, biology of, of, of the client. And so it's, um, it's not always for lack of trying on the part of the professionals, whether they're coaches, trainers, dietitians, other nutrition professionals. Um, there, there is often these very significant missing pieces. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of a webinar I just heard from Whole Foods Magazine. Actually, Maggie, she uh, interviewed four different experts and they were talking about this issue in particular. And what came out of that from what my understanding, and then I went and read the article that was mentioned was, is that, you know, in science and research, women are highly underrated and they're un- not underrated, per se, but underrepresented. Um, and that goes through, it's just harder. One, one expert had said that it was harder to um, do the research on women because of the monthly cycle. And if they are to miss that 30 days and they have to wait another 30 days. And so it's just more expensive and it's harder. But what's come out of that today is, is that um, researchers and even um, in our industry, they're saying that, you know, women, I think oh, it was um, Dr. Susan Hewling said, women are not small men. And we need to understand that when we do our research. And so I'm really excited to see, I feel like this is a topic that's becoming known and is trending right now. And I'm excited to see what's going to come out of that in the future. So, well, it is, it is um, enormously frustrating um, being half the population of the world, right? And in fact, when it comes to recreational sports, women participate at a higher percentage than men, uh, again, across the lifespan. And certainly in competitive sports and elite sports, we are um, racking up um, being absolutely equivalent. Um, To think that to do research that what is considered normal is the male biology. And anything other than that, in other words, female biology, and then of course there is today, and there always has been a real gray area in between, 
that to, to set up research studies, pay for them, plan for them, and complete them is an is is too heavy on effort, uh, whether it's time, finances, etc. Because because you're always using the standard of studying males as as your um, sort of uh, protocol that you're compared to, and and it makes me very angry that it isn't just as important to set up research protocols and methodology to do the right thing and get the right data for females. It is, it is still, it is still putting us as a second class citizen and that our information is not as important despite the fact that our dollars work just as hard. And so, so it is, it is absolutely imperative for scientists to toe the line on this matter and just put their feet down and and say this is the this is the state of the knowledge and the science and this is where we must go or we will always be behind the eight ball we will never understand we will never have have the right science the right evidence the right products to meet the needs of the population of women and girls and and it it just makes me because it is it it reinforces the misogyny of our society and um why why is doing um the sort of the proper methodology for science for women and girls less important than the the proper methodology for men and boys it just it's just a, a societal standard that that is infuriating frankly um, and it should be infuriating to anyone really that believes in in scientific methodology. I would agree with you. I noticed um, at this recent trade show that we were at and I walked the floor and I noticed that there weren't many companies at all. I think there were maybe three that actually had women's health products and not just their products for women, but products that had science behind their ingredients behind what they are doing and how they are helping women. And I think that the demand is greater now. I think it's always been great. But let me let me rephrase that. I think that it is, we are voicing our opinion and we're becoming a little louder about the demand and how it is important, like you had just referenced. Um, we are not exactly equal. And even though the time it takes and the money that it takes, the resources are a little bit more for the female gender, it is something that we definitely need to take on so that we have the right data to provide the right products to individuals seeking them. Um, my, um, yeah, my and there just I don't mean to interrupt you, but just to say that the more we learn about male biology, we may not be we may not have been doing that right all along either. And there are um, different points in time, and that may not be wholly just um, related to sixty and older. And, and 18 to 60 or 18 to 50, you know, there, there are probably points in time if we pay a little more attention to changes that might be fairly succinct that we could be altering our data as well. And so I, I just, you know, <laughs> the, looking at the sort of the methods of studying men and boys as the standard 
that we compare everything to and everything else is, is different than that standard is really, to me, history. That's old. It needs to be updated and changed even in our conversations that we're not saying, well, it's more expensive and it's this and it's that. Well, yeah. So would we do less than research on men because it costs a little more if we want to look at testosterone replacement or all the studies that cost a little more to do? Because I remember when I did my initial study um, for my PhD work, it was extraordinarily expensive to get the hormone studies on my subjects. And prior to my studies, they, my study, they were not, they were not measuring um, uh, the, the um, hormone levels of men that were being produced in their own bodies. They were just saying they took this much. Um, for, for this particular bodybuilding research um, in, in my area because it was so expensive. And we made the decision that we couldn't, we couldn't do the research properly if we didn't have that data. And so, because our subjects were taking external sources of anabolic steroids and, we, and, and they were cycling on and off. And if we didn't measure their intrinsic levels, their, their levels that they were producing themselves and how those went up and down, we wouldn't have really true data that was worthwhile. And so, so we said, this is just gonna cost more. And we did it. And, and so, um, I, and, and now everybody does it. I mean, it, it, it changed from then on. We set a standard then. So all we have to do now is, is accept that there's a new standard. I, I definitely appreciate that and agree with you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Do you think that female athletes are hesitant to take supplements, maybe because of the research, lack of research? You know, it's kind of funny. There was uh, in, in perhaps the same study that, that you were referring to, the study by, by Smith et al. Um, out of Boston, um, they found that women do take supplements and, and perhaps even at, at an elite level more so than, than their male counterparts. And, and so women are taking them um, and, and it may be despite not having good data, although they do, um, I think they are somewhat hesitant. I mean, when you speak one-on-one -on -one with women, they're all over the place. You know, some women are absolutely, you know, anti-supplements and they are food only until they experience the, the difference that perhaps one supplement can make for them. Um, when they are told they can have confidence that this is a clean supplement, it's third-party lab tested, it has evidence behind it. And so, um, so there's those women, and then there are the women that just say, if if this is going to help me, I'm going to take it. I don't care. Um, they are just as goal-oriented as everybody else. They want to win just like everybody else. And they will try and experiment with just about anything that may give promise. So, so they are discerning customers for sure, but, but they are, they're customers that you want to have on your, on your side. 
Yes, yes. Um, back in February, you had attended the Sports and Active Nutrition Summit. And so my next question actually comes from our Director of uh, Product and Brain Strategy, Alexis Collins. She loved having you sit at the table and talk. And her question is, is what are the top three supplements an active woman should be taking to support her life? And do you have any recommendations varying or do they vary depending on the age group? Oh yeah. So, so age group is a great question, by the way. Um, and sometimes three is not enough. Um, uh, but, but the, um, age group really does matter. And, and particularly because of our reproductive lifespan. And so, um, iron is really at the top when it comes to, uh, sort of post pubertal women, once they, they enter the, their, their years of, of menstruation, uh, we have a big loss of iron on a monthly basis, and and our data are abundantly clear in adolescence and through these years that women typically do not consume enough iron, um, and and even women who are not frankly deficient, who are not anemic, but have low iron stores, we can measure um, that they are less active, and so um, a sense of less energy, and so it is critically important to have um, good iron stores as well as good dietary iron intakes. And that often requires supplementation. Um, of course, we wanna always be measuring if possible women, we wanna look at blood levels. So, um, but after our reproductive years, iron supplementation is typically not recommended specifically because now you can accumulate too much iron because we're not losing iron on a monthly basis. Um, uh, also during these years, vitamin B6 possibly and calcium, um, uh, depending again on dietary intake, on the, uh, the functionality tests on women, very important to look at this for bone mineral health, vitamin D um, becomes sort of across the lifespan, very important for supplementation, especially women and girls of indoor sports. And so when they participate in indoor sports, we know that um, we have great data on collegiate athletes with just almost 100% uh, low vitamin D levels. And so very important to know your vitamin D status and, and supplement with vitamin D really all age groups, this is, this is important. Um, calcium as well throughout the lifespan. Uh, and then also high on the list are uh, marine oils, DHA and EPA and creatine. So we've, you know, sort of as a general recommendation, um, we can also talk about protein and carbohydrate, right? So if you're not getting in enough protein from food alone, it's important to have a good quality um, and, and quantity of protein in your diet for um, recovery and tissue building and repair uh, and growth, especially in, in the sort of more still adolescent girls. But, but again, throughout the lifespan, and we know as we get older, women may need a little, just as much protein. It's not less and perhaps even more. Uh, and so protein supplementation becomes important. And then carbohydrate supplementation based on the specific sports activity that you're doing around your sport. If you are taking in less carbohydrate during the day, sort of in your general diet, 
perhaps having sort of, I say, you know, sort of a bolus, a glug of carbohydrate in your um, carbohydrate replacement beverage, or, you know, we think of a sports drink, um, getting carbohydrate prior to your training and, and maybe during and after, again, depending on your specific needs. This is commonly found in, in active and athletic women, um, particularly where they are restricting carbohydrate a little bit in their diet based on sometimes really bad information. Sometimes um, it is useful in what they're trying to accomplish. And so we, um, we replace it. And I always say, put your carbs to work for you. Make sure you, you, you fuel your training, never underfuel your training. And then carbohydrate in your recovery beverage, let's say post-exercise, so that you refuel for the next bout of exercise. Yes, thank you for that. You um, reminded me, we have an ingredient called NEM, which is an eggshell membrane, and we have had a study done on it through postmenopausal women. And, you know, as they go through this, women, we all go through this stage and with estrogen and there's just this loss that happens. And so it's actually just a really interesting study to do that for joint health. Um, and you had mentioned recovery and carbohydrates. And um, so I just really appreciate that. In closing, what changes do you hope to see in the dietary supplement industry as it pertains to women's health? Oh, I really want an authentic conversation with, with women and female consumers. Um, and, and that authentic conversation means that you listen to their words. And, and as you know, in marketing, emotions matter and women are very emotional about this. It is very upsetting when you call a company in customer support and this actually, I have this documented. When you call a company for customer support and say, I'm trying to increase my time, my, you know, increase my speed, lower my time uh, and my power uh, for, for running a, a half marathon. And the answer, what products do you have? And the answer that we got was, um, this product will help you lose weight and get sexy. This is what you want. This is the product you want. It really is gonna, it's good. It's a fat burner and you'll really feel you know, skinnier and sexier. Now, I have to say that was a few years ago. I think that is starting to go by the wayside, that language, but that emphasis just isn't. And if you look at the breadth of products, women want to improve performance. And it is very hard to find products that say, we're going to help you improve your performance. And, and the, the thing is, there's not a lot of data. As you said, it's it, people find it um, quote unquote hard to to collect that data, and uh, and so if if manufacturers are saying, well, they're asking for evidence based products, and and there aren't any evidence based ingredients that we can you know have a patent on and and create a product um, that's different than you know, carbohydrate replacement beverage or something like that, well then invest in it. Just invest in it. Whoever does is going to win. 
it it's just um, to have real bona fide funded university-based independent research studies investigating products relative to female biology will will change the, the, the platform that we're all operating from and whoever does it really well and talks about it is going to get the support of the influencers, um, someone like me, um, as well as the athletes themselves, uh, the top athletes, many of them, not all of them. I mean, money speaks and female athletes are so undervalued and underpaid that sometimes anybody that's willing to sponsor them gets their voice, unfortunately. But many of the women are becoming um, very, and have been very careful about who they lend their, their name and reputation to. And evidence is, a, and, and, and their own experience with the product is also very important. So um, I would say, and I'm, saying that from my personal experience working with these women. As you noted, I have worked with, I worked with the Seattle Storm, the championship team at WNBA team for many years. I worked with the Seattle Rain, our soccer team, and, and many of the women on the National Women's Soccer League and USA Basketball. And those women now have real name recognition. And Many of them stay away from nutrition products like specific supplements because they are afraid to lend their name to them. So I would say um, women, as we know, spend the dollars, whether it's for themselves or their families. And, and they are becoming more discerning and they are getting angry at the messages thrown at them. Um, and if there is no difference between men and women in a certain category, then when the data stands, let it be known that there is data. And, and our dosing for you is no different than for men. Um, you are just as, you know, physiologically at the very high levels of activity, um, at high intensity levels of activity, our physiology is not that much different is hardly different. In fact, our energy metabolism is nearly identical at high intensity levels of exercise. And so, so based on that, there are things we can say. So I would encourage brands to put their money where their mouth is and, and, and do focus groups, um, have authentic conversations, let the women speak and then respond. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's really encouraging. I, I do believe that, you know, there is an opportunity and it's right for the harvesting and what you have said, I hope brands, you know, take heed and run with it for sure. Um, because there is a need, there is a need and there's a strong demand for it. So now's the time. Now's the time. Well, Dr. Kleiner, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It has been a joy getting to chat with you about women's health and the dietary supplement industry. My pleasure, Jacqueline. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll talk to you.